And good day. Welcome to the Interfaith Experience, Episode 4. Kenneth Boggs in the studio. Finally getting around to this fourth episode. I want to talk today about oneness again, getting back into non-duality, and also talking about the importance of human connection, especially in today's world that we're living in, where we're often not able to connect with those that we care about and the way that people are suffering um, because they lack that connection. So I'll play this quick commercial and get right back to it. You've spent your life working hard. Now it's time to enjoy it. Hi, this is Aaron Kelch, owner of Kelch Communities, and I want to tell you about our signature independent community, Canterbury Park. You could spend your days cooking, cleaning, and doing chores, or you could spend it here with us and take the stress out of life. Make new friends. Enjoy chef-prepared meals. Use our on-site banking. Canterbury Park has transportation available to take you on your errands and personal appointments. It's time for you to enjoy life without the trouble of maintaining it. Call Canterbury Park at 501-5100. All right, we're back in um, discussing non-duality and oneness. And again, we talked about that. I think I talked about that in the first episode, recognizing our oneness with all of creation. There are a number of teachers who have woken up to this truth. The church has been slow to do so, but it's always had its mystics. And because I come from a Christian background, that's predominantly where I go to uh, when I talk about these things. But at the same time, I want to be open to all faiths and all traditions. What I found in my study of religions is that every tradition has its orthodoxy. It's uh, people that stick to the dogma and the doctrine and the tradition and the liturgy, and that's all they're wrapped up in. And then every tradition has its mystics. You look at uh, Islam within Sufism, uh, Rumi and Hafiz. Um, Christianity has its mystics like Meister Eckhart and Julian of Norwich and Teresa of Avila. The Eastern Church has this tradition of hesychasm within the Orthodox tradition. Um, people who practice the Jesus Prayer, for instance. Um, all the, You have the Quakers. You have mystics within all traditions, the Jewish Kabbalah. Um, Buddhism has its, has its uh, mystics as well, but Buddhism doesn't talk so much about, um, y- uh, about God and, and that sort of thing. It's more about focusing on the self and, and reaching enlightenment. But it's traditions, particularly Tibetan Buddhism maybe has some mystical traditions to it. We have the traditions of the Bodhisattva in Mahayana Buddhism, focusing on someone like Kuan Yin, who I mentioned last time, uh, Jizo, the Bodhisattva the, of travelers and of children. And so, you know, Hinduism uh, has its a mystical tradition as well. And what these, and, and every religion does really, but what these teachers and gurus and ascetics have done is they've woken up to this realization that we are actually God experiencing itself on the planet. And actually all of creation is God. Um, and I, I've mentioned Father Sean O'Lara in the past and how I take a lot of my um, uh, kind of guidance from him and his teachings. And he too, as an Irish mystic, he has woken up to uh, the realization that really all of life is an emanation and a creation of God. For, for him, God is not a creator like the, the church would has traditionally taught, where God speaks creatio ex nihilo, uh, creation out of nothing. He literally speaks things into existence. They don't exist before he speaks it. For Father Sean, and, and what I've come to accept and believe too, I think, is that God manifests and emanates life from within God's self. Um, so nothing is created. He, Father Sean says, God is not sitting in a workshop dreaming up, today I'm going to I'm gonna make an elephant, and I'm going to make a zebra and a giraffe and a lion, and I'm going to put them in a place that's going to eventually be called Africa. He he literally manifests, or she, God's itself, no gender, man, spirit, manifests, that's a better word, I think I'll use spirit, 
spirit manifests from within itself um, all out into the cosmos and literally becomes creation itself and becomes all of life. Of course, the church has pushed back on that. So that's panentheism. And you, know, you can't do that. You can't teach that. But the mystics have always come back and said, you're missing something here. You're missing the oneness that we all actually are. I saw a friend uh, posted yesterday on her Instagram, um, this picture of someone looking down into the water and she's had it written up there, you are that. And I've had some experiences in the last week where God, I was, I literally experienced God within myself as myself. There was this, this moment where the, the small me disappeared and the higher self came forward. And you hear a lot of talk about the higher self these days as more and more people are waking up to the reality of who we actually are as this is what it means to be made in the image of God. I, I asked that question a few podcasts ago. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And what I've come to discover is that God has spirit has manifested in this world as me and as each of us, each of you. And when you recognize that, when you have that experience of complete oneness with all that is, then the suffering ends. There's no one to suffer. There's only consciousness. There's only conscious awareness. So anytime that I have gone through what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, which I've experienced a lot in the last number of years, there's that sense of emptiness that I'm apart from God and God's separate from me and I can't reach him. But when I turn within, that's where God is actually encountered. And I started reading through the Gospel of Thomas again, which Christians will push back on. That's a non-canonical text. You can't do that. But there's many things that Jesus taught that are not in the New Testament. And even John says at, at the end of his Gospel, if all of Jesus' sayings and teachings and everything he did were written down, the world itself could not hold the books that would be written. So in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus, it's a list of 114 verses that are just sayings of Jesus. There's no narr narrative there. There's no story. And he, he's just recording, uh, Thomas is just recording the things that Jesus said. And I wanted to read a few of these verses um, that really talk about, first of all, you know, Thomas got it. We, we call Thomas Doubting Thomas, but... I heard someone recently who said Thomas was actually the one that listened to Jesus when he said, when the kingdom is over there, behold, the Messiah is over there. Don't go out there and look because that's not where it is. The kingdom is within you and the kingdom is all around you and the kingdom is spread out upon the earth, but people don't recognize it. Why is that? Because God has hidden God's self within each person. And that is really the fall, I think. It's our inability to recognize who we actually are and, and the power that we are. I've seen this manifest this week in a number of different ways. My higher self, the soul self, is wanting a particular thing, and it's being reminded of that thing on a regular basis that's been going on, kind of confirmation of me that it's time for me to move in that direction. I'll talk about that in a few weeks. But, um, you know, when we, when we tap in and recognize who we are as spirit and as our higher self, a whole world can then begin to manifest, and, and we can really create the reality that we want. And this is why I think some people are really successful in life, because they have a particular mindset, and they really, really manifest what's there. So this first verse from the Gospel of Thomas, uh, verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, Compare me and tell me whom I am like. Simon Peter said to him, You are like a righteous angel. Matthew said to him, You are like a wise philosopher. Thomas said to him, Master, 
my mouth is wholly incapable of saying what you are like. Jesus said, Your master, because you have drunk, I am not. You have become intoxicated from the bubbling spring of living water which I have measured out. And he took him aside and spoke three words to him. When Thomas came back to his companions, they asked him, What did Jesus say to you? Thomas answered them, If I tell you one of the words he said to me, you will take up stones and throw them at me, and fire will come out of the stones and burn you. See, Thomas got it. Thomas had the same experience that, I think it's Maha Kasyapa. I forget if that's the actual Maha Kasyapa, I think is the disciple of the Buddha, who in the Flower Sutra, the Buddha is just holding up this flower in front of his audience, and he's not saying a word. He's just looking at everybody, and everybody's looking back, and they're waiting for this great, great teaching. And Mahasakyapa, if I get that pronunciation right, suddenly he smiles, and the Buddha sees that and recognizes he's got it. This is the first transmission of Zen Buddhism. It's a mind-to-mind transmission outside of the scriptures, as Zen Buddhism teaches. Um, so what Mahakasyapa found was that he was that flower, and by extension, he is all of life, all of creation. And he got that, and he recognized that, and Thomas does the same thing. There's a, there's a Buddhist influence, for sure, I'm finding in the teachings of Jesus. Um, there are those who teach that he went to India or Tibet and studied Buddhism and Hinduism. I don't know that he had to do that. I can be open-minded about that, but we know for sure that there were Buddhist scholars in Palestine at the time of Jesus, that they were in Egypt and Syria. Uh, You don't travel through those areas without going through Palestine. Um, I really feel that Jesus had had studied Buddhism, uh, had either talked to Buddhist monks or had gotten his hands on some texts or something. But there is a book by Kenneth Leong called The Zen Teachings of Jesus that I'm going to be reading here pretty soon. Looking forward to that. Um, But I'm seeing more and more of the similarities. Marcus Borg wrote a book on um, the parallel sayings of Jesus and Buddha. He took a hundred different sayings, put them side by side, and it's remarkable how similar they are. And Buddha lived about 500 years before Jesus. But there's a definite Buddhist influence on Jesus and on early Christianity, and it's still seen in the icons and the pictures of the church. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, Jesus used that saying a lot. Um, So Thomas got it. He got that he was actually one with Jesus, and he's one with God. He's one with all creation. And, And because of that, Jesus said, I'm not your master anymore. You've got it. You, you can now teach if you want to. I don't know if he said that to him, but he really could have at that point. And Thomas went on to, to India. And interestingly enough, Thomas went to India after, the, after Jesus died and was resurrected. Uh, Thomas goes to India and starts a church. And when British missionaries and Portuguese missionaries have showed up in India, and they're like, what is Christianity always doing here, already doing here? You know, it's, it's because Thomas had already started the Martoma Church. The Church of Thomas was already there. And uh, those Christians get it. They get the true teachings. These are the deeper teachings. This teaching of oneness, um, the teachings of oneness are the solid food that the New Testament talks about. Paul talks about this. We should be eating solid food rather than drinking milk. And for too long, I think Christians have um, drank milk and not gone deep into the, the deeper teachings that are actually there of who we are. And these oneness teachings that all the mystics have discovered, Christian or not, they're all the same. And if we start eating solid food, we can begin to look into these deeper teachings that are found like in the Gospel of Thomas, and we can uh, begin to see that we are one with all of life. And when we see that, like I said, our suffering comes to an end. There's no one to suffer. There simply is conscious awareness. 
in verse 50 of the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus says, If they say to you, Where did you come from? Say to them, We came from the light, the place where the light came into being of itself, established itself, and revealed itself in their image. If they say to you, Who are you? Say, We are its sons. We are the elect of the living Father. Of course, he uses sons there because it's a patriarchal society. But this can easily, this is just as easily applied to women as men. In, in Christ, there is no male or female, slave or free, Gentile or Jew. It's all one. He talks about in Gospel of Thomas, when you make the two one, you'll be free. When there's no gender, when you understand that, just spirit, you, you'll be free. Um, and so, interestingly, he says, you know, we came from the light, the place where the light came into being of itself, established itself, and revealed itself in their image. This is the Logos, this is the light, the Spirit of God, that comes and reveals itself within all of creation, within all of us. You know, we're seeing a return of the Native American and the shamanic cultures and uh, the Celtic Christianity, Celtic beliefs, uh, pre-Christian beliefs that people are latching onto. And it's because they they teach oneness, not separation. And so much of our, our society these days is about separation. Them versus that group, uh, this person versus that person, this leader versus that leader. And everyone is targeted as being separate. And they do that to try to keep us at odds with one another and to keep war going and to keep uh, politicians, you know, fighting one group over against another. It's all to divide. The reality is that we are one. And really, there's only one consciousness. It is the consciousness of God, consciousness of spirit. But it manifests within all of us in a unique and different way. And we get to all experience life. God is actually, you know, wanted to, what is it like to experience life as a human being? For Father Sean, he says often, Jesus isn't the only unique son of God, that all of us are actually children of God, as Jesus confirmed that. And, you know, God is here expressing God's self within all of us in a very unique way. And we get the privilege of living this life and enjoying it. Um, in, in our own unique way. And, and, and when we're afraid to be who we truly are, then our spirit suffers and we can feel it within ourselves when we're not being honest with ourselves, when we're not being true to who we are. And the world needs diversity and it needs people who aren't afraid to be who they truly are. And I've struggled with this, continue to struggle with it, and I'm in the process of making some moves that will open some doors and take me to actually where I want to be instead of having to fit myself into a box and into a mold for a company that forces its employees to do that because they're afraid of people actually being who they truly are. So I can, I'll talk about that again in a few weeks. But in verse 77, Jesus makes an interesting statement that can be, um, it can be made as if, if it's, you know, sounds like if it's, it's him only. But this could also, this also, I think, applies to everyone. I think he's speaking from the, the terms of the higher self that he was, the Christ self, the Logos, the second person of the Trinity, whatever you want to call it. Taoists uh, would call it the Tao, where he says, I am the light that falls on all things. I am the all. From me, the all has gone out, and to me, the all came back. Cleave a piece of wood, and I am there. Lift up a stone, and you will find me there. Now, you know, that could be argued Jesus is speaking specifically and only about himself. But he also says that we are gods. This does not mean that we can physically and literally create uh, anything that we want. But because we are God, bite-sized bits of God, as Father Sean says, and as the Orthodox Church teaches, we are God by, gods by grace, not, not in essence, but um, by grace that we can 
literally manifest the things that we want to. Um, when we recognize our oneness with spirit, things begin to just manifest. You know, the things that we want, our deepest self wants, will begin to manifest. It's a pretty cool process to watch, as I've discovered in the last week. And um, so if we are all gods, and we're all son, sons and daughters of the living Father, and we're all priests of God, it's another thing that Father Sean says, our incarnation is our ordination. You know, when we recognize this, if, if we all truly recognize this, the systems and the institutions would begin to really crumble down. Now, we're already seeing a lot of these institutions and positions and, and uh, places of power are falling apart. As women are rising up, as the divine feminine is rising up, bringing back balance to the planet, bringing healing, uh, a, lot, a lot of the male-dominated structures are falling away. The church is continuing to decline in membership because the corrupt power systems within it have been recognized, and they're being called out, and they're falling apart. So oneness, consciousness is what's arising on the planet. Now, we're going to go through some painful times to get there, but the reality is that it's coming. It's already here. The kingdom of God is within you, and it's all around you. The kingdom of God is spread out upon the earth, but people don't recognize it. But when you do come to recognize it, then you're free, and there's no more suffering. There's no more fear of death. I see this all the time in my work of fear of death. It's particularly high amongst evangelical Christians. It's amazing to me how people who claim to have such faith in God's ability to heal and to restore and to raise the dead and to resurrect and give us new bodies and new life, they are the ones that I find are the most fearful when someone is dying. They, they are so attached, they can't let go, um, and they have a really hard time with the process of someone dying. Now, I get it's hard to lose someone you love. I lost my dad a year and a half ago. Um, it's not an easy thing to go through, of course, for anyone. And I don't mean to belittle anyone's grief. But I, what, I'll, what I'm saying is that none of us actually die. It's just the body that falls away. And the spirit is, is released and goes on continually living. And I think it's reincarnated and comes back and lives again. God, again, manifesting God's self in the world. So I've taken a, a more mystical track now in my Christian beliefs. I've, I've gone through all so many denominations and so many teachings and found, you know, I've, I've had enough of the milk. I want the solid food. And the solid food in, is where you wake up. It's where the suffering ends. And it's also what I've discovered in my practice of Zen Buddhism, which has really opened me up to um, experiencing my Christian faith in a new way. I've been reading a number of books lately by Christians who practice Zen, they're a little farther down the road than I am, and I get really inspired by them because what they're all saying, whether this is Thomas Merton, Kim Boykins, um, William Johnston, Kenneth Leong, there are a number of Christians who are practiced Zen in Japan, here in the U.S., all around, and they all say the same thing. This path will not lead you to hell. This hell is a concept of the mind. And even our, our translations of hell in the New Testament, are, are all, they're, they're not accurate. Jesus was not talking about an internal place of punishment and torment. That is something that keeps us divided. When you, when you recognize oneness, that fear of hell and death and suffering, it goes away. Because you realize you don't actually die. You continue to live. And everybody that's had a near-death experience comes back time and time again. And all they've experienced is light and love and a presence that they cannot describe other than saying it's just love. There's nothing you have to do to be loved. You don't have to strive to be something. You don't have to have all these accomplishments and degrees and 
spend all this time in ascetic practices, beating your body and starving yourself half to death like so many monastics have done throughout Christian history. You don't have to do any of that. You are already loved as you are. There's no striving after anything. You are simply a child of God, an expression of God in the world, and you are loved. And this woman, I listened to a woman the other day, she was in a coma for 34 hours, had cancer for four years. She went into this coma. She was aware of everything that was being said, both in the room and outside the room. She had traveled outside of her body, and she was able to witness and hear and see in a completely new way. She met her father, who had passed away 10 years before. They communicated telepathically. He wanted her to know that it wasn't her time, that she was supposed to come back. And she was like, I don't want to come back. My body is suffering. I'm in tremendous pain. I just want to stay here with you where everything is peaceful and light and there's no pain. And then he he transmitted to her mind, if you go back, your body will be healed. There will be no more suffering physically. The cancer will be gone. And you can begin to live your life fearlessly because there's no fear of death anymore. There's no fear of suffering. There's no fear of eternal torment and punishment. And when she got that, she said, okay. And she came back to her body, started talking with her family. They recognized something profound had happened to her. And they did scans of her body um, I, think, I can't remember if she said it was right away or if it was within three weeks, but 70% of the cancer was gone like almost immediately. And then maybe it was the three weeks later, all the cancer was gone and continues to be gone to this day. I think she's still alive. I, I heard her on YouTube, but I can't remember her name. But it's, you know, she, she had this experience of simply being in the presence of an all abiding love. And that presence is who we are. So when we touch into that, the suffering ends. The last thing that I want to say before I uh, wrap up here is how much people are missing human touch and human interaction and communication in this age of the pandemic where we are being told not to go out, to stay at home as much as possible, not to go to our places of worship or do our normal events. The elderly in particular are missing human interaction. I sat with this man yesterday. I get the privilege in my job of sitting with people in their deepest suffering. And hearing how they are either saddened by that and struggling with that or how they are, have found joy and happiness in the midst of their suffering. So this man said to me yesterday how much he missed the days when his pastor would come and visit him. Uh, if he missed church, you know, he'd come out and say hello and eat, maybe join him for dinner, sit and pray with him, whatever it may be. And his health has declined and he doesn't get to go to church often anymore. Of course, with the pandemic, it's very difficult to do that anyway, but... You know, he really was like missing that human interaction. And so I sat with him for about an hour and a half. And he said to me toward the end when I offered to pray for him, like, you know, you could have just offered to pray when you first came in, could have saved yourself a lot of time, gone on about your day. I said, yeah, but then I wouldn't know who you are. I wouldn't know anything about you. And, you know, he was really touched by that, that I sat with him for that long. And, and I have the privilege and the ability to do that often in my work where none of the other staff members have that kind of time. So just sitting with him for that hour and a half, listening to him, um, trying to listen without the intention of, of responding, but listening with the intention of hearing, which we so often struggle with. All of us, we struggle with. Uh, we, we're already preparing our response to someone before they've even finished what they're saying. And we don't give people the time to really explain what they're saying. We cut them off after just a couple sentences or a few words. This happens to me often. I rarely get to really express my point of view before someone's cut me off and started talking about themselves, and that gets really frustrating. And when we're able to listen deeply to someone and be present with them, we can bring about a lot of healing for someone. 
And it took me a while to understand the, the power of presence and of simply sitting with someone and giving them space to share their story and not judging it, just coming with an open mind and, and, and really becoming like a little child and just being in wonder and awe of what they're saying. Not that I do that perfectly because I certainly don't. But, you know, you make an effort. And at the end, we prayed together. I held his hand, and he was crying at the end of that. And he's struggling in his faith because he's expecting to be healed of this end-stage disease that he has that doctors say there's no cure for. And his belief and his faith is that God is going to heal him. I see that a lot, really devout Christians praying for miracles that don't come. And I've struggled with why. Why is that? What's going on? The healing comes, but it may not come the way that we expect it to or want it to. And it may not come as quickly as we want it to. It may, not, it may come at our death. The healing will come. The suffering will end in one way or the other. But, you know, one, my, my point of this is if you have the opportunity to go and sit with someone, especially someone who's elderly, who's really struggling, do that. Say a kind word to them. Pray for them. Hold them in your hands. Do whatever you can because people are really suffering right now mentally, physically, Um and, and we need it badly. We need to reestablish human connection and our ability to communicate well um, and, instead of letting all of these things really irritate us and set us off. We take a step back and we simply try to be present and to find joy in the midst of suffering. We can change someone's whole day, maybe change their life just by being present for a little while. You have to be careful you don't drain yourself and, and take care of yourself when you do that because I, I can tell you it will drain you. But if you have that chance, go and sit with someone today. Make a difference in their life. This man told me when he was working, his phone was ringing off the hook and he would often work for free for people and just help them out. And now that he's sick and older and retired, nobody's calling him. You know, and that saddens me. And we're seeing this, we see this with, with a lot of veterans. Him and I talk we're, as both uh, vet, military veterans, uh, you know, how we feel lost and abandoned by the VA system or the government. And, you know, he was pretty angry about that, too. So a lot of people are feeling abandoned, whether they're older or not. The younger people are feeling abandoned. We're seeing a lot of mental health cases on the rise. People are not feeling heard. They're not, feel, not being seen. They're just a number in a system, a number in a computer, and they don't matter. And God is there to say, you do matter. I'm operating within you and as you. You can be the, my hands and feet in the world. I think that's what we're called to be, hands and feet of God in the world, to bring healing and hope and restoration instead of adding to the suffering that's here. And if enough of us can wake up to the oneness of who we are, then we can begin to turn things around simply by our very presence. So I challenge you today, just go out there and be with someone, love them, hold them, Talk to them, pray for them, do what you can. And I think you'll be blessed because of it. So I wish you well. I wish you a good day. And I'll talk to you next time.